Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. The uh, NBA with uh, two big games. We could have the end of the season for two clubs tonight if the Knicks don't win and the Warriors don't win. Right now in the first, you've got the Knicks uh, with a two-point lead over Miami. Again, that game is just underway in the uh, first quarter, 15-13, uh, to 13, with just over uh, six minutes remaining. Hockey tonight, you've got uh, the Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights. Huge game five in Vegas. All right. Again, we'll keep you updated on the scores. Again, the Knicks and the Heat playing in the first quarter, halfway mark, and now it's 15-14 of 14, uh, New York. Well, you've got uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. They are now facing a game seven because they couldn't close the deal on their home floor. And you have the Phoenix Suns who look about as bad as you can look in a must-win game. And Devin Booker blown off the media is about as bad as it gets. I don't understand a lot of professional athletes now. They just don't – they don't care. And, again, they get fined twenty five grand, and they're like, big deal. That's, that's what's so sad about the amount of money that they're making is that a $25,000 fine doesn't deter them. They don't care. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, is it not? Devin Booker blowing off the media? I mean, what's that all about? That's a bad look, is it not? We saw it in the first round with Dylan Brooks and John Morant. And now, again, we see it with Devin Booker. Just awful. Just absolutely terrible. All right, if you want to talk about the NBA playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs, anything else going on, this is the place to be as we get you ready for the weekend. All right, let's get to uh, some phone calls. We need a leadoff man, and that today will be Connor. Connor, good afternoon. How are you? Doing good, Grant. How are you? I'm good, buddy. Yeah, so there's a lot to get to today, but I wanted to start by saying I saw it on your Twitter. What a joke that someone can get fired for playing Bob Huggins clips, but Bob Huggins himself won't get fired. It's an absolute disgrace. I mean, it really is. It's uh, it's beyond comprehension what has happened to this country. And, and I'll tell you, and I, I say this without being, um, I feel sorry for people like you and the younger generation. And I really mean that. I'm 63. I mean, you know, I, I have maybe, if I'm lucky, maybe 20 years left, you know, or so. Um, you know, you have your whole life ahead of you. And I, I don't know how you're going to navigate your way through this crap in this country. I really mean that because I, I don't see things getting better in my lifetime. I pray they get better in your lifetime. But what's going on in this country in the last two weeks, beginning with Ben Mintz of Barstool, followed up by Glenn Kuyper of the Oakland A's, and now this individual with a podcast who gets fired because he played in its entirety, the interview with Bob Huggins. And by the way, condemn Bob Huggins, thought that West Virginia should have fired him, but he gets fired because he actually used the homophobic slur in his podcast of exactly what was said on the Cincinnati radio station. I mean, it really doesn't get any worse than that. It's an embarrassment. It really is. It's a, I don't, I don't see things getting any better for a while in this country. I really don't. It's a, it's so sad. Cancel culture in this country is out of freaking control. It really is. Yeah, it sure is. Every day there's a new story and every day the same innocent people seem to get their livelihood basically stripped from them for no reason. Well, you hit it right on the head. Innocent. I think that's the best way. Uh, I think that's the best word to use. Innocent. I mean, it's just incredible to me. I mean, Ben Mintz of Barstool, by the way, I've never heard of. I mean, he recites 
the lyrics of a rap song. So let me get this straight. It's okay to publish music with racial slurs and sexual degrading lyrics. But if you are Caucasian in America and recite those lyrics, then you are now a racist. Like, how does that happen? You know, like how on earth does that happen? By the way, I loved what Phil Mushnick of the New York Post wrote about this Bob Huggins deal. I mean, I mean, um, it was perfect. It was absolutely, pro- I'll read you a little bit here. Um, I'll start off with in the middle of the uh, column. At Cincinnati, Huggins also starred in a video, the one of him being arrested for a DUI. But worry not, after his spying by Cincy, West Virginia, his alma mater was waiting. And Huggins' ways and means continued until this week, when on a Cincinnati radio show, he playfully, in quotation marks, referenced the student body of Xavier, uh, Jesuit University in Cincy, as all those Fs, those Catholic Fs. All right. Then Phil Mushnick continues on with his column and writes, well, West Virginia would have none of that. So it sprung into action and did as close to nothing as it could. It suspended Huggins for the first three games of the season, paid a stay home games against Missouri State, Monmouth and Jacksonville State, and hit him with a $1 million pay cut to 3.2 million, still a school high salary for a guy who this week made himself virtually impossible to hire. Also this week, in what seemed a sign of the times, the media were more outraged that Huggins bashed homosexuals than that he bashed Catholics in one bigoted bashing more acceptable, or excuse me, is one bigoted bashing more acceptable than the other. But for more than 25 years, TV folks knew Huggins to be an uncouth, self-entitled, loophole-reliant stinker. Yet almost weekly, he was presented on TV as a sweetheart. How many men and women who call college sports telecast tell non-pandering truths? How many have aided and abetted the fraud that further allows colleges to serve as mob-like fronts for sports. Wow. This week, ESPN Sports Center host John Anderson apologized for a childish crack he made about Golden Knights defenseman Zach Whitecloud. Unaware of the obvious, Whitecloud is a native North American. Anderson said his name sounded like a brand of toilet paper. Anderson seemed sincere in his apology, and Whitecloud was gracious in accepting it. Yet Anderson's employment by ESPN is predicated on his presence as a wise guy. Thus, ESPN was at least as responsible for what Anderson said, as was Anderson, who had merely stayed in his ESPN character. In the past 10 days, Alabama's baseball coach was fired, and at least 40 student athletes at Iowa and Iowa State are under investigation for gambling irregularities and suspicions. Scandal, inevitable due to sports gambling, saturated commercial climate. No one loses. Get rich quick. Bogus come ons, target the young and vulnerable has arrived. 
But how do all these TV and radio shows and sportscasters from Michael Kay to Charles Barkley to Evan Roberts to Colin Coward handle those stories along with others involving the sports gambling bust of pro athletes? Do they make shame shame at the accused or sanctions? Do they ignore the growing stories or do they rationalize their own involvement by backing the violators as society's children just responding to commercial prompts? How did these broadcasters and their bosses not see any of this coming? How did they not avoid such personalized entanglements? Why did they allow their employees to attach their names to sucker ads? Again, no one really says it like Phil Mushnick, Connor. I just love Phil Mushnick. His column comes out on Thursdays and Saturdays, and I search for it every Thursday and every Saturday, and it's the very first thing that I care to read on those particular days. Nobody says it, in my opinion, as well as Phil Mushnick. He's the best. Yeah, he is. And something I kind of just thought of while you're reading that is the whole situation with Zach Whitecloud and Anderson. And that gives me a little bit of hope because if someone comes out like Whitecloud did and says he accepts his apology and that it's okay, he forgives him, and then nobody loses their jobs and we move on. But that that seems to be a pretty rare occasion at this point. It's very rare. It's very, very, very rare. Did you see the story of the – the Georgia player, I, 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 I'm having a mental block right now, so I beg your pardon, who during the NBA draft, or, or NBA, during the NFL draft last week, uh, made fun of an Asian presenter. And, you know, it's just, he apologized vehemently and said, hey, you know what, I learned a lot from that experience. But, you know, it's like barely it's even mentioned because it wasn't an attack against a black person it was an attack against an Asian person. So it's not a severe wrong. Hate is hate. And as Mitch Album of the Detroit Free Press wrote three years ago after Deshaun Jackson's uh, anti-Semitic remarks when playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Mitch Album said, silence is compliance. We cannot be selective with our noise, not against hate. Well, in this country, people are very selective with their noise when it comes to hate. Hate against a black person is worse than hate against an Asian person, worse than hate against a white person, worse than hate against a Hispanic person. And it's wrong. It's just flat out wrong. Hate is hate. And it really doesn't matter what your ethnicity or religion is. But unfortunately, in this country, uh, that that doesn't mean a damn thing. It's really sad. It really is. Yeah, it is. And I missed your show yesterday going over the schedule. So I kind of wanted to bring up a couple points for the Giants. Yep. Yep. So I really liked that, especially with, I don't, it's not the Giants, but is it Jets, Bills on 9-11 Monday night with Rodgers' debut? I mean, that's that's a really good schedule from the NFL there. It's great. I made that comment yesterday. I thought it was uh, great. You know, first of all, 9-11, there should be a game in New York. And so I think that's great that they did that Monday night. You know, the pregame ceremonies, the prayer, the thoughts, the memories. I mean all of that will uh, take place. You know, I'm, I'm just curious because 9-11 happened uh, before you were born. And I'm just, and I really wonder this because I, I, I don't know. I, I watched those towers being built with my own eyes. Um, did, were you, did you become educated about 
from parents, from family, or was that part of your education going through school curriculum? It's a great question. I do remember in middle school, our history teacher had us watch a video, like a documentary about it. And that's kind of when I was first introduced to it. And then I mean, I've seen a lot of videos and media from it ever since. So you were not really that, um, I'll use the term aware, or you didn't really know much about it until your teacher in middle school had you watched that documentary? Correct. That's amazing to me. And again, give me a ballpark figure of around what year that would have been. Um, probably like 2014, 2015. Okay, so that was that was 14 or 15 years after 9-11 occurred. The reason why I ask you is this just came into my mind. I think that's just wow. Is for me and my generation, the, the arguably the biggest day in history was December 7th, 1941, the attack on World, uh, on Pearl Harbor that obviously happened 18 years before I was born. But I only knew uh, about Pearl Harbor, I, I would say from movies, more as opposed from uh, being taught about it in school. And then my dad did not talk that much about the war, but he talked about being at the polo grounds for the New York Giants Brooklyn Dodgers football game on December 7th, 1941. And then he didn't talk about that until I asked him about it. And then three years later, he was in the Pacific Theater on a on Navy on a naval ship off the coast of Okinawa. But I, that, that's interesting you bring that up. Now we did um study World War II in history, I would also agree and say that it probably was more middle school. We definitely did not do that in grade school, but I was, I'm trying to recollect because I, I can't think back that far, how old I would have been the first time I became conscious about an event that happened similarly about, you know, what year were you born? 2003. All right, so you were born two years after 9-11, but you didn't really become aware of it until middle school. So I became aware of Pearl Harbor, I would say from movies, but pretty much around that area too. I just find that interesting because, you know, I would I would think that 9-11 in your life is without question the most horrific day in the history of this country. Whereas I would say the same thing about December 7th, 1941 in my life. Okay. And probably to this day still is probably is Trump's 9-11 by a little bit due to the magnitude and the loss of life and the duration of the war. But both were obviously incredible events and we both didn't really learn about them until we were 12, 13, 14, 15. So to me, that's very interesting. Not to get off on a tangent here, everybody, but I, I think that's fascinating to me that we live in an era of social media, YouTube, video, everything else, but you didn't really become aware of 9-11 until middle school. To me, that's fascinating. Now, I would also say this. I believe that if you grew up in New York, and I'm not 
discounting Washington or Pennsylvania, but if you grew up in New York, in the area of Manhattan, I don't believe that that would have taken that long because you would have learned about the history of the Freedom Tower because you can't go to New York and enter the island of Manhattan without seeing the Freedom Tower for miles and miles away. I always talk about people making fun of the Giants playing in New Jersey. Well, that's true. Technically, they play in the state of New Jersey, but their stadium is closer to their downtown area than many stadiums in America in their respective cities. And I remember when we used to go to the Giants games every year on Sundays, when you walk out of the stadium from where our section was, you saw the trade centers. That's the first thing you saw. You saw the entire skyline of Manhattan where you could almost reach out and touch it. So like when 9-11 occurred, and I've had Bob Papa on, the radio voice of the Giants, and many others, the Giants played the night before, okay? They played the night before in Denver. It was the first game in the Broncos' current new stadium, all right? The Giants opened up that stadium. The Giants landed early in the morning of 9-11 at Newark Airport, and their charter aircraft parked right next to the plane that went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, Flight United Flight 91. And Bob talks about just walking down the terminal and, and remember just seeing people, but you know, it's, you've been up all night, you've been on a flight, and, you know, and then when they got to Giants Stadium uh, and a lot of the players were at the facility, they talk about being able to see the aftermath of the first plane hitting the tower at, you know, from, from, from the parking lot at the Meadowlands. And here's something else. They used the parking lot at the Meadowlands as part of search and recovery and everything else. But here's something else. There were cars. You, they used 9-11 as a parking lot for commuting into the city, right? So they would, you could park at the parking lot at Giant Stadium and take a, what they call a transit bus with a special bus lane to get quickly into Manhattan. And there were cars still in the parking lot at the Meadowlands for weeks and weeks and weeks after from people who worked in the trade center that never made it home. There are also stories as I further your education here, there are many, okay, stories of people whose lives were saved because of the Giants playing the Broncos the night before. There was one story of an individual who wrote a letter or an email, I can't remember, but I believe it was a letter, to John Mara, the owner of the New York Giants, and thanked the Giants for saving his life because he and his friends went to Denver for the game. And he worked on one of the upper floors of the Trade Center. And the only reason why he was not in the Trade Center on the morning of the attack was because he was en route from Denver to New York because they couldn't fly out after the game. And there are many, many stories of people that 
stayed up late, had uh, football parties because of the late nature of the game. You got to remember Sunday night football in New York or Monday night. I can't remember. It was uh, starts late. Right. So a lot of people, when I say a lot, a number of people didn't make it to work on time because they were either sleeping in or called in sick or what have you. So it's amazing what the impact on a, on certain people's lives just from the Giants playing the night before. Had the Giants not played the night before, if the Giants had played a Sunday afternoon game, there are several people that would have perished in the attacks of 9-11. It's been all documented. I'm fascinated about reading about that, but I just thought maybe you'd find that interested, interesting after what you told me and also being a New York Giants fan. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it makes me think maybe I'll ask you, what were the impacts of the aftermath when, like, the connections to sports, like when Mike Piazza hit that big home run or when Sammy Sosa ran around the outfields with the American flag? I mean, what, what did those moments, I wonder, mean to the city of New York and to the country at that time? Uh, they were huge. I will back up and first tell you that about, oh, 30 minutes after the second tower collapsed, my doorbell rang and my wife at the time was a flight attendant for American Airlines and was based out of San Francisco. And the only route that she flied was San Francisco to JFK. The doorbell rings and it's my buddy, Ed, from around the corner, who was a pilot for United Airlines based out of San Francisco, who also flew that route a lot. And I mean, I can't even begin to tell you what that moment was like when he walked in to my kitchen and embraced my wife. And they broke down to a point where I will never forget that image for as long as I live. But on what you were talking about for New York, I think when President Bush threw out the first pitch, you know, at Yankee Stadium and threw a perfect strike, you know, one thing that you're not aware of and people in your generation are not aware of. And again, I, I know we're getting off on a tangent here, but I think this is important, is after 9-11, and I'm 63, so that might put it in the perspective, I don't ever recall a period of time where our country was as together as they were after 9-11. The patriotism in this country, you could feel, Okay. There Now, I would also say there have been stories, and I don't want to gloss over this because I want to be fair here, is that there were many Muslims in the United States who were attacked unfairly and went through some horrible times because of the nature of the terrorists being Muslim. So I, I do want to point that out. But the patriotism in the United States following 9-11 was unlike any other time that I remember in my life, including today. And that's why when I tell you how messed up this country is, a lot of my 
comments about that are based around that era in this country where everybody was together, everyone was helping out their fellow neighbor. We were a country of compassion. We were a country of giving. We were a country of togetherness. You know, like for instance, the Yankees and the Red Sox. I was at many, many, many Yankees Red Sox games, and they were pretty vile. If you went to Yankee Stadium and you were a Red Sox fan, and you had your Red Sox gear on, you would have beer thrown at you, and you would be cursed. And conversely, Yankee fans at Fenway Park. It was a, it was a, a real live, heated, ugly rivalry. And I've talked to Rich Goose Gossage about this. I've talked to other Yankees that played in that on the radio. And Goose Gossage, you know, said to me on my radio show, when I asked him about that rivalry, he didn't make any bones about it. He said, we hated them and they hated us. And he said, you, you didn't talk, you didn't see anybody talking on the field. You know, if, if Chris Chambliss was on first base in the field and, you know, Fred Lynn was on the bag or Jim Rice, you know, they weren't chit-chatting. There was no chit-chat with us because we hated them. And they hated us. And that carried over to the fans. Well, after 9-11, for a period of time, going to Yankee Stadium was like going to watch a Disney movie. Okay? You know, it didn't matter if there was a Red Sox fan next to you or if you were in Fenway. I, I, you know, again, that just stopped. You know, and again, I'm just giving you a little example. The patriotism from 9-11 lasted for a while and then unfortunately like everything else it dissipated but you asked me about some of the events that occurred from a sporting perspective there was really nothing quite like when president bush came out and threw the first pitch after 9-11 after a couple of weeks that, that i think that was probably the most amazing sports moment now people might say it was the return of the nfl the giants uh, their return was in Kansas City. It wasn't a home game. And the giant analyst and former great defensive back Dick Lynch, his son was killed in the 9-11 attacks. And the scene from the players and everyone else with their American flags, you know, brought Dick Lynch to tears on the air. And I mean, there were, there were many, many, many stories, but I will just tell you that yes, it was part of the healing. I can't speak for Washington. I can't speak for Pennsylvania because, you know, I, I grew up in New York. I grew up going into the city. My dad for a period of time worked one block from the trade centers. And when we would go into the city to his office and we would take the train into New York and then the subway, when we walked out of the subway, as you were walking up the stairs, you saw the trade centers. All right. That's the first thing you saw. And I was on the windows of the world several times. I was in the trade center several times. I mean, the whole thing for me, and again, I don't mean to say that if you're in California, it doesn't mean a lot to you. We're Americans. Americans are Americans. But I still to this day, to this day, when I go into New York, whether I'm flying into New York and I always sit on the left side of the plane, if I'm flying into LaGuardia, because that's generally the side of the plane where you see all of Manhattan. And the first thing that you see is the tip of lower Manhattan and the freedom tower. 
And then when you get off the plane and you're in New York, you know, you see the Freedom Tower pretty much in a lot of areas you are. And to me, every single time I look at lower Manhattan, whether I'm on the train coming in, whether I'm driving into the city, regardless of where, that's what I think about. I think about 9-11 every single day I'm in New York. If you live in different parts of the United States, you don't think about 9-11 unless it's the anniversary of 9-11 for the most part. But if you live in New York and you work in New York, okay, you think of 9-11 every day because it's impossible to look at the Freedom Tower and not say to yourself, gee, that's only there because of what happened on 9-11. So yeah, in sports, there were many, many, many examples of helping the city heal. But to me, there was nothing like George Bush, President Bush, coming out and throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. And by the way, I'm sure you've seen the documentary about this, where he threw a perfect strike. And I think Derek Jeter (laughs) said to him, you know, don't mess this up or you're going to get booed. <laughs> and he's like, no, you're not going to get booed. But the but his 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 pitch was a perfect strike. Uh, and the city of New York went crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Powerful stuff. That's a good conversation today. I'll let somebody else talk. Thank you, buddy. You have a great weekend. Take care. You too. Bye. All right. All right. Let's get to uh, Jerry right here on Listen Up. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Grant, how are you, sir? Happy Friday to you, my friend. Same to you, Jerry. Grant, Connor, and you, 26 minutes, my friend. Oh, my God. That's, you know what? Was that right? Connor, 26 uh, minutes? Wow. That That's uh, that's a long conversation, Grant. And, you know, Connor's awesome, dude. I mean, he's very knowledgeable, and I love listening to uh, you and him talk, Grant. I mean, well, awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, we got off on a little bit of a tangent, but I just, when he said 9-11, I'm like, wait a minute. He wasn't even born for 9-11. I wonder how much he knows about 9-11 and when he learned about that. Now, think about that, Jerry. I don't know. You know, you're obviously you remember 9-11. But isn't it fascinating that Connor, who was born two years after 9-11, didn't really learn about it until he was in middle school? Isn't that amazing? That's that's amazing, Grant. I am 54. Well, you're actually going on 54. Uh, I'll be 54 in July. Grant, and you know what? I just want to tell you, uh, when you started off, you said that you got about 20 years left, Grant. You're going to be doing this show, Grant, until you're 100, my friend. You know what? Hey, Grant Napier is not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, I got to tell you, if I'm doing this show with 100, I got some real problems in my life. That's number one. (laughs) And number two, you got some real problems in your life if you're still listening to me, okay? Grant, I've been listening to you for 30 plus years, my friend. So, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere, Grant. (laughs) All right. Deal. All right, we'll shake on that from uh, across the internet. All right, I'm, I got my hand out. I'm extending my hand to you. Deal, okay? And then Grant, even Grant, even like when the Lord decides to uh, take you to those pearly gates, Grant, you know what? You're still going to have your podcast, my friend. And the younger generation coming up, they're going to listen to your podcast, Grant. And we're like, man, I wish, wish, I wish I would have talked to this man. I wish I would have talked to him. <laughs> I appreciate you, Jerry. You have a you have a great weekend, all right? Grant, you do the same, Grant. Thank you, buddy. All right. Oh my gosh. Oh, I need a little levity after that uh, conversation with Connor because that does bring back some uh, sad memories, to say the least. Uh, the Knicks are leading the Miami Heat. How about that, the Knicks have jumped all over Miami in the opening quarter, and now Miami has come back. It was. 
it was a big lead, but now Miami has cut the lead to two. It was uh, 31 to 24, but the Knicks were up by what, 15 or 16. And now it's a five point lead for the Knicks. They just scored a three pointer. It's a uh, 44 uh, to 39. Amazing how that game has just changed. All right, let's get to uh, some more phone calls. And we say hello to Preston. Hey, Preston, welcome to the show. Hey, Grant, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. Um, I just want to follow up about 9-11. Um, I was born in 96, and I was in kindergarten when that happened. And I vaguely remember it. I mean, I know it happened, but I vaguely remember it. Um, and I almost, it's not that I wish for another tragic event to happen, but you almost wonder if something like that needs to happen to bring the country back together. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, but it would uh, be fleeting. In other words, it doesn't last for as long as you would hope. But I will tell you, and again, you're too young to remember, but the patriotism in this country uh, after 9-11 was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my lifetime. And I would imagine that it was similar to that during World War II. I mean, I remember talking to my aunt about this, and she said that, you know, after December 7th, um, you know, if people were not working militarily, everyone then stopped what they were doing and went to work basically for the government, ma- making clothes. I mean, no matter what it was, everyone had a role. Mm-hmm. That's patriotism. That doesn't exist now in this country. I'm yeah. with you. I don't want to see a track. We shouldn't have to have a tragedy right. become a patriotic country, but we are the furthest thing from a patriotic country right now. I mean, it's terrible what's going on in this country. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah. Go, I mean, go watch the ho- go watch a hockey game uh, when the Leafs are playing or Edmonton's playing. And just look at the, and again, small example, just look at all of the fans, 18,000 that are all sitting there in unison singing the national anthem with pride. You know, yeah. that doesn't happen in America. We got people bashing the anthem in America. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me. It really I is. Know. Yeah, I know. It's changed a lot. I mean, I would even, I don't know if it changed maybe around the time that Colin Kaepernick took the knee or maybe, maybe it happened before that. What do you think? Oh, no, it happened before that. It happened before that. Um, that was the trend as it relates to uh, patriotism and the flag that the, the debate about the national anthem, but no, I, I, in my opinion, and that's a really good point by you, in my opinion, it had happened before that, but that, that obviously did have an impact in where we are today, in my opinion, greatly. And, and I'm, I may be in the minority when I say this, yeah. uh, I think that has caused more negativity than positivity. That's had more of a negative impact on this country been a positive impact that's my opinion i wonder if i wonder if he realized the impact that was gonna make i mean or i, mean, I don't think anybody anybody could have possibly realized the impact that that would have on america i don't think anybody could have forecasted that not even him um and i know this might be a complicated question but what do you think happened between 9-11 or 9-11 and like during that time period what do you think had changed you know what? Um, I, I think that people go back to their routines after they mourn and after they go through a tragedy. And, you know, uh, the first few years 
is rough. And, you know, again, you see an empty hole in Manhattan and you see the Pentagon being repaired, but then everything is, is again, back to usual. And you have people like Connor, and I don't say this in any disrespect, mm -hmm. but you have people that are then born after 9-11 that, you know, grow up and become, you know, young children, then they become teenagers and, you know, they're, they're, they're focusing on other things. And so it's not, it, it just, it filters through society. It's different eras, different generations. So I just think that it's like um, mourning a death, you know, uh, it's hard when you lose someone you love Yeah. and it's, it doesn't mean you don't think about them a lot, but you know, then you go on with your life and sure. you, you know, it's 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 um, just part of life, I guess. And I guess probably relative to the, I mean, to those people that were are around that age now, as far as like kindergarten and and whatnot, like probably probably some of the latest shootings have are probably some of the next uh, biggest events in their lives, as far as what's. Um, I, I don't know. think there's any question about that. I I, I think you're absolutely correct. That's yeah, a fabulous even, point. Yeah, I, I was I, even I, thinking about the yeah. like Las Vegas shooting. I was there probably about a month ago, and it's just like it kind of sober. Not it's kind of um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a you kind of get this um, weird feeling like walking through the hotel and just like knowing that wow, a big shooting or you know the guy shot from this very hotel. Yeah, the Mandalay Bay. Now yeah. I would think for the people that were in Vegas and. I remember this because my best friend or one of my best friends, you know, is with the Vegas Golden Knights and put that team together. And he was in Vegas and was telling me about what that period of time was like. And I think if you are like for me, and again, no disrespect to anybody in Northern California that's listening to this, mm -hmm. I have a different perspective of 9-11 than a lot of other people do because I grew up yeah. in New York watching the towers being built and my dad worked a block from there and I was in the towers a lot. You understand? So mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you don't care or you, no one else cares, but right. it's different. So I think that's part of it too. I think if, if you go to, if you're from Vegas or you were in Vegas during that period of time, or God forbid you were, you know, in that area where the fatalities occurred from the shooting at the Mandalay Bay, I'm not so sure that would ever leave you. I think that's with you you know, forever. I've never, I haven't asked my friend George that I probably should. Um, I do know this. I was in Vegas, oh, a month ago. And when I landed and I saw the Mandalay Bay, I, I did think, I thought about that. You know, it, it popped, you know, it came into my head that, yeah. gee, well, you know, so yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to bring something else up. Uh, it just slipped my mind. <laughs> um, let me think. Um, no problem. Uh, shoot, slip my mind. Maybe, maybe I'll go back in the audience and maybe I'll call. I'll call. Okay. Back. Yeah. No problem. All right. Have a good weekend. If I don't hear from you. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Let's get to uh, Left Terrace. Hello, Left Terrace. Welcome to the show. Hi, Grant. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, thank you. I was watching something the other day, and it was really true what I heard. Uh, something like we have now the cancer culture. It happened before in the fifties with the communists. Uh, I, 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 mean, I was not born yet, but I read, uh, watched a lot of movies and I read a lot of stuff about that time. Uh, anybody who was labeled communist, even without evidence, they would just lose their job and they would just uh, kick, 
get kicked out of society. And it's basically the same thing that's happening now. But it's just for a different reason. Right. Um, it it seems that this country sometimes in once in a while go through this kind of uh, phase that uh, they have the keywords or something like that, and they, it, the cancer culture comes, comes back. Anyway. Very interesting. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering what is that? I mean, why we have the need to have the cancer culture and uh, get somebody and uh, lose their job and live, uh, lose their livelihood based on uh, assumptions? Great question. So, uh, I wish I had the answer to that. Yeah, um, and I'm saying the article also about politics, sports, you know, politics yeah. and yeah. sports uh-huh. yeah. about the Premier League. Uh, it's basically the same things happening in other countries too, where they're trying to uh, promote and push for political messages in sports. And uh, it's not only here we're tired of it, but it's also it's happening to the other countries as well. Um, and you yeah, said the Premier that, League is a good example, no question. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that the other day I was listening to you um, in the podcast uh, uh, that you talk about uh, we wish to have somebody to come up and run for an office to be basically somebody who is not, uh, somebody who's more independent, somebody who's running for the good of the country, basically. Yes, uh, yes. But it, it's kind of hard because what I noticed is if somebody's good candidate, uh, and it's not promoting the, the interests of the one party, the agenda of one party. It doesn't matter how good he is, he'll be labeled, he'll be, um, uh, he'll be uh, thrown out and mad at him. Um, they will be just, uh, uh, it's just so political in this, this country that if you don't support the agenda of one uh, party, you'll be accused for that party uh, and not to see the good in that continent. Uh, that's what's so hard. Uh, well, yeah, that, Bill, that, that's, you know, him or her. I know you said him, but I mean, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think it would be unlikely that that would happen. I was just saying what would be on my wish list. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, you know, so I noticed the last 10 years, uh, the country went down the drain as far as the hate and the polarity among people. Uh, and this came from the both um, both uh, this, uh, political spectrum, from the um, all the way to one side to the council culture, and the other side, uh, no respect for constitution. I don't want to get into politics, but yeah, it, it's it, social it, media. Yeah, social media it, is to blame for that. It, yeah, exactly. Opinion. They're promoting uh, what they base, what they think they can get more listeners and more viewers on their programs. Yeah. And they don't really care about the the truthfulness of what they're saying. And this is very, very sad. Yep. Left Harris, yeah. you have a good weekend. I appreciate you chiming in. Take care now. Thank Bye-bye. You. Yeah, thank you. Bye. All right. We got Preston back. You remember what he wanted to talk about. Go ahead, buddy. Hey, I just wanted to follow up about the, because you said that your dad had worked a block from the Twin Towers. Yes, correct. Um, and I'm sure you probably knew people that died in that. Uh, Yes. On that day from the buildings. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Stress. 
We all have it to a degree, big, small, but I think you can agree we all carry around different stressors. Most of you know what I've gone through the last four years, complete career change, moving across the country, filing a lawsuit, being in the news often, dealing with all of that, trust me, has not been easy. And if you keep things bottled up, it can really have a negative impact on your life. Therapy is a safe space. You get things off your chest. You can figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills. You can set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And you know what, folks? It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Hey, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's online. It's easy, convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash grant today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash grant. Yes. I also uh, have become very good friends with a uh, since retired uh, Port Authority cop and he actually was on a flight from Japan to New York and landed in New York on September 10th and lived in Queens and could see everything happening from his apartment building on 9-11 and made his way into the city, which, by the way, was not easy at that juncture, and told me he didn't even get home for three weeks. And he told me that many of his colleagues that he worked with perished in 9-11. And if you ever go to lower Manhattan, by the way, or anywhere in Manhattan, and you walk by any fire station in Manhattan, anyone, okay, anywhere, it doesn't matter whether you're in lower Manhattan, mid, mid Manhattan, wherever, if their doors are open, okay, when I mean their door, I'm talking about the, the, the garage door, which most of them are, on the walls, of every fire station are tributes to all of the individuals that died from 9-11 that were from that particular fire station. You cannot find any fire station in Manhattan, particularly lower Manhattan, that when the doors are open, the, 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 the garage doors are open, where on the wall, the first thing you see is a tribute to those that lost their life in 9-11 from that particular station. Wow, I never knew, I never knew that. If you go to Manhattan, anytime you go to Manhattan, if you're walking down the street and you pass a fire station and their doors are open, okay? You look on the walls and you will see a tribute to those that died on 9/11 from that very station. Absolutely. It's in every fire station in New York. I've never seen a fire station in New York without that on their wall because almost every single unit lost members on that day. But my friend who was at the Port Authority cop was telling me about all of the friends that perished. And he believes that had he been in New York on 9-11, he would have been one of those as well. Wow, that is, uh, that's unbelievable. (laughs) Yep. Um, Wow. I 
I mean, it's because, I mean, you mentioned that you had gone through the buildings different times and stuff, and I'm sure that day was um, difficult for you. But, man, if you were an employee in that, I mean, if you were, if you had a friend that was an employee in that building, that would, oh, that definitely no, would have you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I can't even imagine. But, hey, thanks for calling back, and uh, you have a good weekend, all right? Thank you. Take you care. as well. Bye-bye. We went out a little bit of different direction today, and I think it was very interesting, um, or at least I, I find it interesting because of the younger generation. My boys were born in 96 and 98, respectively. My youngest remembers it actually happening. Chase, who was born in 98, does not, but... I thought it was interesting to hear what Connor had to say, being born two years uh, after 9-11. All right, let's get to uh, Jerry right here on Listen App one more time. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Grant. I know we're not supposed to call a second time, Grant, but I have a question. Uh, where has Ryan from Sacktown been, my friend? Uh, I don't know. I talk to him on a fairly regular basis. Oh, you know what? He's, uh, he's having uh, surgery on his hip. I don't know if that's this week or not, but um, I'll check up on him, okay? Okay, because usually he's always on, on your, uh, you know, web, yep. right? So I was just, yep. uh, I was just wondering. Hopefully, everything was okay. All right, sir. Thanks, buddy. Thank Have a good weekend. Take care. And Jerry, you can always call twice because you're going to be calling me in heaven too. So it's all good, buddy. You're, you you have a passion. Call me as many times as you want. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you so much, and I look forward to chatting with you again on Monday. Bye bye.